I am Jeff Ebert, and welcome to my podcast, Gospel Wabi Sabi, God's Good News for Imperfect People. This is Season 1, Episode 10, and this week we're on the humility of John the Baptist, from the Gospel of John, Chapter 3, starting with verse 22. This podcast might be a little shorter than regular for a couple of reasons. First, we've already talked a lot about John the Baptist in Episode 3, and I don't want to repeat myself. And this is the week between Christmas and New Year's, uh, and we just had a death in our family, so mentally I'm kind of not at my best. Uh, Plus, I've been prepping to preach at a local church this weekend, so my brain just kind of isn't as sharp as it should be. So just for full disclosure, in this episode, I'm going to be relying heavily on the work of one of my favorite Bible teachers, Ray Stedman. He was the best, and I've really valued his insights over the years. So we're going to jump into the Gospel of John Chapter 3, starting with verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anion near Salim, because there were plenty of water. And people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Let me interrupt the scripture for just a moment. Here's some Bible translators see John the Baptist's words ending and what follows in verse 31 are words of John the gospel writer. Other translators continue the text as a quotation from John the Baptist, and the reason for this is that in the original Greek, there are no punctuation marks, no quotation marks. So you can only tell if it's a quotation from the context, and here it's not 100% clear. So what follows in verse 31, it could be either from John the Baptist or John the Gospel writer. Both options are possible, and both are equally inspired. There's just a question of who's saying it. So let's go on, verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. In this passage, John the Baptist appears for the last time in this gospel, and as in chapter 1, his main purpose seems to be as a confirming witness to the truth about who Jesus is, as God's one and only Son, God's Messiah. John, the Gospel writer, makes two points here. First, he shows how John the Baptist said very plainly that Jesus is the supreme person in the universe, and that Jesus is the focal point of all history, 
and as God's Messiah has all supremacy. Remember, this was a time when news spread primarily through one person talking with another person, and people had to physically talk to each other. There was no media. And so depending on where you live, many people had not yet heard anything about Jesus. And there were some who still thought that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet, and some who had heard about Jesus who still thought John the Baptist was a greater prophet than Jesus. Even some of John's own disciples were that way and saw Jesus actually as a rival. And so after a discussion with someone from outside the circle of their group, some of John's own disciples came to him with questions about the legitimacy of Jesus's ministry. You know, there's a sense of jealousy, of envy, of rivalry, and competition that's clearly evident here. John's disciples were upset that Jesus was now setting up a rival camp just a mile or two down the road and winning more people than John was. After all, it was John the Baptist who first introduced Jesus to the public, and now Jesus was upstaging him. That, that didn't sit well. It didn't seem right to John's own disciples. And you know, competition is one of the most dangerous things to enter the family and people of God. A sense of rivalry between ministries it's one of the devil's most effective tools to impede the progress of the gospel. How big is your church? How many staff do you have? What kinds of ministries are you doing? What's your reputation in the community? Pastors and ministry leaders can be very susceptible to the comparison game because, let's face it, we're all a little vain. We all have egos, and being in ministry carries with it a lot of pressures. Pastors and other ministry leaders are constantly being evaluated on their preaching, on their leadership, on their ability to cope with problems and problem people. Folks have high expectations about their pastors, and during tough times like now with COVID, pastors are often the ones who feel the heat the most. So an unhealthy spirit of comparison can slip in, and that's something all pastors and ministry leaders need to be aware of and guard against. Here it was a competitive baptism. The crowds that once came flocking to hear John are now going to hear Jesus and are following after him. Even back in the Gospels, they were involved in the old numbers game. Who's the most popular? Whom do the crowds go to hear and follow? It's doubly true today with so many folks doing comparison shopping between churches. There's such a consumer, uh, consumer mentality today about Christians that they treat going to church like going to a restaurant buffet. Who is going to feed me the most? That's where I'll go. But there's little sense of commitment of sticking with a group of people as a church family through thick and thin. And that weakens the body of Christ when your participation is performance-based or folks who kind of cherry-pick ministries, you know, Bible study from this church or worship service from that church, a youth group over there. It was very frustrating to me during my decades as a local church pastor. Please just pick a place and commit to the people there. It's not all about you and your wants and needs. Prayerfully just pick a place and go all in. Stop looking at church as a place that's there to, to, to serve you and consider it a place where God wants you to serve, to make your contribution to the body of Christ. Don't contribute to this competition problem. But what we also see involved in this passage was an argument about the meaning of baptism. Evidently, some Jews questioned the meaning of Jesus' baptism and as we looked at back in episode three, John's baptism was an extension of the Jewish rite where two things were happening. Either the Gentiles who converted to Judaism went through the baptism ritual of purification, or when pious Jews also went through 
kind of a similar purification ritual that was mentioned in the law. Basically, when your sins were forgiven, you took a bath. But now Jesus himself and his disciples were baptizing, and it was different. They were baptizing into a new life, something beyond just purification. And John's disciples could not understand that, so they came to ask John about it. And John clarifies the whole matter in verse 27. John replies, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead by him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and now it's complete. He must become greater. I must become less. What a wonderful word this is from John. How clearly he answers. He gives three important statements that serve to set uh, his own disciples straight that Jesus is not his rival. First, he declares that all position comes only from God, that all of life is a gift essentially from God's hand, and that's very true for every person, no matter what their position in life. All of life is a gift from God's hand, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, communist, socialist, capitalist, atheist, Buddhist, whatever. doesn't make any difference. All position in this world comes from God. And many people think that they have won their way to power by their own efforts and by their own intelligence, their hard work, even their own devious business practices, which they sometimes love to take credit for. They take all the credit for themselves. People who feel that way should read the fourth chapter of the Old Testament prophet Daniel. There we see the greatest king of the ancient world, King Nebuchadnezzar, as he struts around in arrogant pride around the battlements of Babylon, saying, Is not this Babylon the great which I have made? But within weeks, he's eating grass in the fields like a cow because he's lost his mind until he learns what he later proclaims that there is a God in heaven who lifts men up and puts men down, and that he alone can exalt as he can also dethrone. That's Daniel 4.34. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Keep reading in that section from Daniel 4. It's a great passage. Many people need to learn this kind of humility in life. As great as people think they are, it can all be taken away in one moment. One heart attack, one aneurysm, one stroke, one misstep. John the Baptist knew that all position comes from God. John had been given a role in which he could take great joy and glorify God, but it was not the role of Messiah, and that belonged to Jesus alone. And secondly, John knew his own role right from the start. Don't you remember that I told you I am not the Messiah? He reminded his disciples, if you think I am, you're departing from what I myself taught you. I'm not the Messiah. I was sent before him to pave the way. I'm fulfilling the words of Isaiah and Malachi. I'm the forerunner, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's Isaiah 40, verse 3. John was very clear about that with his disciples from the very first time he crossed paths with Jesus. And thirdly, John says, I am filled with joy at what is happening. What's a great word, what a great word this is. In effect, he's saying, when I see crowds of people leaving me and going to Jesus, I'm happy about that because Jesus can do for them what I could never do. For their sakes, I rejoice in that. I'm ecstatic because Jesus is the bridegroom come to claim his bride. 
He is receiving those who believe in him, and that's his bride. I'm, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm the best man at the wedding. I have a certain role to fulfill, but I rejoice when the bridegroom claims his bride. You know, I've never really understood why we call that guy the best man, because why would the bride out of two choices always choose the one who's not the best man? Maybe that's just me. But John is delighted with it. He says, it fills my heart with joy to see them leaving me and going to Jesus. And then he gives us that great word, which ought to be echoed by every Christian. He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. That's so different from how we ordinarily feel. The world says, push yourself to the front of the line. Get noticed, put yourself first, be a self-promoter. Isn't that every TikToker's dream? Every so-called social influencer, get as much attention for yourself as you can. But John says, Jesus must increase. I'm on the way out, and that's fine with me. Pastors feel the pressure to be noticed. There's a whole celebrity culture around pastors and worship leaders and conference speakers and booksellers. And of course, it's all couched in very pious Christian language, but the spirit of it is very opposite to the gospel. The 20th century Scottish theologian James Danny put it this way, you can never at the same time convince people that you're a great preacher and that Jesus is a great savior. It's one or the other. And you can substitute any role in life for that of preacher, great parent, great nurse, great banker, great journalist. You can never at the same time convince people that you are a great anything and that Jesus is a great savior. I hope that my own heart echoes this word of John the Baptist. He must increase. That should be the goal of every believer, to put Jesus first. The next thing John says is that Jesus is not only the ultimate person in the universe, but also speaks the ultimate truth. Jesus speaks from the widest base, verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. John the Baptist is saying Jesus' word is far greater than mine because he's from the invisible realm of life. He's from heaven. That's his origin. That's where he's coming from. That's his perspective on our lives here on earth. He's from heaven where he sees all the factors of life woven together in one tremendously comprehensive unit. He speaks truth as it relates to all other truth. I, however, I'm from the earth. I can only see a narrow, limited range of truth. And though what I speak is truth, it's nothing like the truth that he speaks. There's a similar word in Isaiah where the prophet quotes God as saying, My thoughts are not your thoughts, or neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways higher than your ways. That's Isaiah 55 verse 8. That so perfectly describes me and my struggles to understand what God is doing. I'm from the earth I can only see a narrow, limited range. I wish I could see it all. I wish I could know how all the threads will come together into one beautiful tapestry. But I don't right now, and I won't gain that perspective until I'm in heaven with Jesus. And so we shouldn't wonder why we do not always understand what God is doing. We are so limited in our vision, but not Jesus. He is not to be contained in our little boxes. And that's why the word of Jesus is the greatest word in the universe. John goes on and says, Jesus speaks from his personal experience. Verse 32 says, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God 
for God gives the Spirit without limit. Jesus has seen and heard all the mind and all the wisdom of God the Father. As we saw in the beginning of this gospel, Jesus is the Word of God himself made flesh, speaking all the mind of God, calling into existence everything that is. And also Jesus' witness has a unique phenomenon connected with it. When Jesus says something, that word is confirmed by the inner witness within people through the Holy Spirit. There is an inner confirming word of the Spirit that authenticates what Jesus says orally. That's what he's saying here. If we could have been there when Jesus spoke, we would have noticed that the reaction uh, to many by what he, from what he said in the crowds would have been, yes, that's right, that's exactly the way I feel. Something within confirms the spoken word. Jesus did not need experts, authorities, or quotes from leading minds of the day to back up what he said. His words stood and still stand on their own. His words spoke to the heart. His words were confirmed by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, the ultimate word. Therefore, John the Baptist concludes his instructions to his disciples by saying that Jesus speaks the final word of life with final authority. Verse 35, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. Everything has been placed in Jesus's loving hands. If there were other hands involved, we'd all be in trouble. But only the compassionate nail-pierced hands of our Savior, who died so that everyone might know the grace of God. But there is a sobering word here. There is one supreme court of the universe and only one defense, the affirming words of Jesus. And wrath is a terrible word. But wrath is the state of affairs that now exists in earth. Do an online search for the word wrath as it's used in scripture. Use uh, thebiblegateway.com for your search if you don't have another one that you like. Thebiblegateway.com. Our world is enveloped in sin. We're separated from our creator. Wrath is our current state of affairs apart from the activity or action of God to save us. In the words of the 90th Psalm, we spend our days under his wrath. Psalm 90 verse 9. We do what feels good to us, what we think is right, but we find ourselves continuing to be filled with emptiness, depression, hurt, anger, pain, and ultimately death. The wrath of God is upon humanity because what we are is producing Uh, agony and the hurt of life. We can choose to go on that way all our life if we want to, or when we hear of the work and the words and the person of Jesus, we can choose life. This is not just an Old Testament kind of message, this wrath of God. Search the New Testament. You'll find it throughout as well. So even though this is not a popular topic among Christians today, it's only because culturally we have a hard time explaining our sinful condition to a world that doesn't accept such a premise. Thinking about God's wrath, I think it's best to go to a great passage like Ephesians 2, where the Apostle Paul writes these great words. This is Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, and this is the greatest transition in the Bible, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is a description of the one who has everything placed in his loving hands. Make sure you've placed your life in those loving hands, will you? To finish, I just want to read a great prayer that describes the kind of humility we see in John the Baptist. It's called the Covenant Prayer. It's written by John Wesley in the later 1700s. This is a modern version that doesn't have all the these and the thous. It's a covenant prayer, and it goes like this. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and also a happy new year. <laughs>